What's up, everyone? This is Anthony Pompliano. Most of you know me as Pomp. You're listening to the Pomp Podcast, simply the best podcast out there. Now let's kick this thing off. Marty Bent is the founder of TFTC, a media company focused on Bitcoin, beauty, and freedom in the digital age. In this conversation, we talk about everything from Bitcoin to mining to authoritarian states and also the World Economic Forum, digital freedom, and why you should start paying attention now. I really enjoyed this conversation with Marty, and I hope you do as well. Before we get into this episode, though, I want to quickly talk about our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by BlockFi. BlockFi provides financial products for crypto investors. Those products include the BlockFi wallet, a U.S. dollar loan collateralized by your crypto, and a no-fee trading product. BlockFi also released the world's first crypto rewards credit card. It's a Visa credit card that gives you crypto back as your rewards instead of cash back or airline miles. They recently introduced Rewards Flex, so customers choose which crypto assets they receive from their credit card rewards from the BlockFi Rewards credit card. For people in the U.S. who own or are interested in owning crypto or stacking more sats, the BlockFi Rewards credit card provides the easiest way to earn more crypto because you earn 1.5% back in crypto on every single purchase and you have no annual fee. I'm an investor in the business and a very, very happy user. The BlockFi Rewards credit card is the easiest way to earn crypto. For a limited time, when you sign up using my link, BlockFi.com slash PompCC, you will get $75 back in crypto on your first swipe. Use your everyday spending to diversify your crypto portfolio. I've got the credit card. I love it. And I think you will, too. Head on over to BlockFi.com slash PompCC today. Next up is Choice. It's time to stop paying capital gains taxes on your Bitcoin. And Choice is here to help. Choice is rebuilding the way Bitcoiners approach retirement by making it possible to invest in Bitcoin and 19 other digital assets inside your IRA. Right now, every time you make a trade, you have to pay capital gains taxes that can be as high as 37%. Choice enables you to trade real Bitcoin, other cryptos, and stocks without having to pay a dime in capital gains. The best part? They just released an iOS app, so you can open an account in less than 10 minutes and take control of your future from the palm of your hand. Join me and the 20,000 other Bitcoiners who have started their tax-efficient stack and open your Choice account today. Search Stack Sats in the App Store or visit choiceapp.io slash pomp. Again, search Stack Sats in the App Store or visit choiceapp.io slash pomp. And one more thing, if you want to hold your private keys, Choice lets you do that too. Start stacking tax-efficient Satoshis today and visit choiceapp.io slash pomp. This episode is brought to you by CryptoToday.com. Exchanges got decentralized, money got decentralized, and the only bottleneck is the very sites listing them all. CryptoToday.com is like decentralized coin market cap. It's the first of its kind. There's no bribes, no connections, or heavy fees are needed to get listed like on the centralized sites. You can simply request on the blockchain and disperse the prize on-chain to the community and get fact-checked by thousands of eager crypto users. CryptoToday.com treats very differently. There's no presale, no VC money, and all of the team is locked up for at least one year. All the centralized competitors have valuations in the billions of dollars. CryptoToday.com started out at $0 as the first decentralized token information site. You can read the white paper at CryptoToday.com. Again, go to CryptoToday.com to learn more. All right, let's get in this episode. I hope you guys enjoyed this one. Anthony Pompliano runs Pomp Investments. All views of him and the guests on his podcast are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Pomp Investments. 
you should not treat any opinion expressed by Pomp or his guests as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his personal opinion. This podcast is for informational purposes only. There's a lot going on in Kanye's world. Speaking of somebody who may have thoughts on that, how are you? Oh, I'm doing well. <laughs> I'm actually, uh, I'm happy I didn't wear that shirt today because I almost did. Well, you were almost wore oh, that shirt. Luna. Yeah, we could have, t- we could have been twins. Yes, we is that been. is that like I a just special need, I need to go shirt? on Fox News though for us to be twins. <laughs> John walked in the office this morning and he looked at me and he goes, "Ah, Marty Fox News bent." <laughs> well, can we can we talk about Fox News first? Yeah, I mean we can talk about whatever the hell you want. All right, so. Uh, uh, does Tucker Carlson like text you on your cell phone and say, like, will you come on the show or what happened? Uh, not Tucker. Uh, Somebody else? Particularly. It was, yeah, one of his producers I've been speaking with via text for a few months, obviously. Trying to get them uh, orange-pilled or are they yeah, there? Yeah, well, it seems like he's really putting a concerted effort forward to, to learn more about Bitcoin um, and what's going on and how it fits into the macro view of the world. And so she's been texting me every once in a while like, all right, can you explain this for me? And that's yeah. what Friday, I thought it was just one of those situations where she's like, can they freeze people's Bitcoin accounts in Canada? I was like, yeah, not Well, it depe- depends if they know how to use Bitcoin. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, and then she's like, oh, by the way, we want you on tonight. I was like, oh, um, all right. Um, and then did you go to a studio or did you do it uh, from like your house? They had, a, they had a van studio show up to our Airbnb. Um, like, a, a car pulled up and you got in. Yeah, we. it was funny. It was uh, my <laughs> father-in-law's birthday dinner on Friday night. That's why we're down here. A little family vacation around his birthday. Okay, that's right, because you were in Miami. Yeah, and uh, I was like, yeah, I, just, I could go to a studio in Miami. And they were like, no, we can have a van show up. So I literally went from blowing out birthday candles to, to a van <laughs> in our driveway. Were you drunk? No. no. <laughs> <laughs> I... Uh, I waited. I had one beer before just to like kill We need you on in five minutes. Hold on, hold on real quick. All right. So uh, let's talk about the Canada stuff first. Um, I think everyone generally is like, this is crazy, but there's a couple of different pieces to unpack. The first being, um, I think that there's nuance around the protests themselves of like, I always think of like, if I was trying to live in a city and a bunch of people came and just parked their cars in like literally it was a gridlock and you couldn't go anywhere, that'd be annoying for the local residents. Now, there may be a good reason for doing it or not a good reason, but like I do think that there's an element of like the people there are like, hey, this sucks, but that's not what's going on anymore. Like that was like for like a day or two. And then it seems like they got cleared out uh, pretty quickly. And then it just became like what a normal protest would be, right? Where people were like voicing their opinion, but the government like kept pressing. And that to me seems like where people are like, okay, that's crazy. Is that kind of your read on it as well? Yeah, I mean, obviously it's very heavy. It's an ongoing situation. And I've spoken with a couple Canadian friends. One actually DM'd me the other day and they said, you know, they were talking, they're living in New York now, but they were talking to some of their friends that live in Ottawa. And they said that their, their life didn't really seem all that different a few weeks ago when the truckers were there. Yeah, the honking was a bit annoying, but the, the government said, stop honking, you'll get fined. And a lot of people stopped honking. Yeah. And then after <laughs> it's that, funny it, how that works. <laughs> it was fine. They said, like, funnily enough, like as soon as they started cracking down, the police did. That's when they actually noticed that there was a disruption in the city. It was like when the police started doing blockades on the road. And I just think with the whole situation and the reaction to it, I just, I, I would, I'm somebody who just likes logical consistency uh, and consistency uh, with particular situations when you compare the reaction by these uh, governments to what happened in the summer of 2020 in reaction to uh, George Floyd and that whole um, 
situation to what's going on now. I, I just don't think there's a lot of consistency across the reactions. There was a lot of damage and um, destruction in the summer of 2020. And we can have the debate if that's a viable form of protest or not. And then this one up in Ottawa seems very peaceful. Um, you, know, you literally have kid bouncy houses like in the middle of, yeah. of the city and that's their form of protest. And it doesn't seem like the reaction is really because of a disruption of everyday life in Ottawa, but uh, the the fact that they they really don't like what these particular group of people are are actually protesting, which is civil liberties. Yeah, one one of the things that uh, I'll never forget uh, watching because I don't really watch like the news, right? Like in terms of, like the live news. Uh, but during I think it was uh, the summer of twenty twenty. Remember when? Uh, the protesters, I'm going to use that as a terminology of, I don't know who, what cause, what side of the debate, whatever, but there was a group of citizens that basically set the police department on fire in like Minneapolis or something. Mm-hmm. And like, they like got into the police. And I remember watching that as it was developing, just being like, holy, <laughs> like, like this is like another level, right? It's like, okay, protest, got it. Okay. Even like the violence or property destruction, like in New York city, there was, you know, multiple situations where they were breaking glass or whatever. Like, again, you get drunk people who knows if they're part of the process. Like when you get to the point where you're literally setting the police department on fire, like that was like, okay, we, we, we've breached into a level of this that like is not going to be well received by most people. Right. Right. Again, it goes back to like the inconsistency. Like, and uh, there's that famous meme of the CNN reporters, like literally in a gas mask, and there's a city on fire behind them. And he's, like the the tagline on CNN is mostly peaceful protest. And <laughs> the the, uh, the media apparatus, the political apparatus back then, was vehemently against, or excuse me, with the the protesters in that situation, and they are fighting for civil liberties too. Um, a, a lot of them, I, I believe, at least thought they were. And then here, again, in Canada, it's mostly peaceful. And uh, it's it's uh, people need to get trampled with horses and put in place. Like in Philly, where I'm from, they were ghost riding cop cars down Broad Street. And <laughs> they were blowing up ATMs and like taking stuff. And there, there was nowhere near the reaction uh, that, that the protesters in Canada are, are are going through right now. But again, two different countries, so... Um, there's also this part of like, uh, um, I think the police and, and, and I want to be, uh, as thoughtful as I can about how to, uh, present this idea. I have a theory, which is, uh, when the people who are protesting have like signs, they're honking, but they're generally, uh, willing to adhere to the rule of law the cops actually are emboldened and they can have like a very, very uh, kind of uh, iron fisted response. And they know these people will basically comply at some point. Right. But what we've seen in France and the United States uh, in many other places around the world is that when the dissent is uh, much more formidable, much more violent, et cetera, actually a lot of times what happens is that the police basically they, they walk away. Right. They, they, they back up and like it's almost like when two strong forces meet, the police are the ones who back away and they don't become combative, usually because they're outnumbered or, or whatever. Uh, 
And so it's like very interesting dynamic of like the more peaceful you are actually in some way it elicits a stronger response from the police versus if you're, you know, setting the city on fire, the cops seem to be a little, you know, less excited about going outside. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, the violence begets violence, uh, type of mentality. Like if you're, if you're going to meet, uh, that violence that, that was happening in 2020 with, with police violence, it could have certainly just poured fuel on that whole fire. And I think, again, with the, what's going on in Canada right now, specifically what we should really hone in on is that it's, this is a, like people are fighting for their right to actually be able to live within an economy, to go to work, to it's crazy. make, make a living, put a, <laughs> put a home over their, their families. Um, and, and actually feed their families. And the, the, the fact that it's gotten to this point where uh, you have Justin Trudeau and their government enacting the Emergencies Act to um, freeze people's bank accounts and put people on list uh, if they were supporting the truckers in any way. It's pretty, frankly, scary. And what's even scarier is that there's not politicians from the United States or other quote-unquote Western free democracies standing up and saying, Hey, Justin, why don't you, why don't you chill out a bit? You're, you're, you're have we like seen it. anyone other than the El Salvador president? I think he yeah. had <laughs> some tweets about basically just being like, Hey, if, if I was doing this, you guys would be like invading my country. Yeah. Right. Uh, but other than that, I don't think we've seen anyone really. No, no. Step and, up. and I think that's the silence is deafening and I would consider it somewhat of an, an endorsement of what's going on up there. Cause this would be real. They want to, do this stuff in the United States too. I mean, it's pretty clear that they want to usher us into the central bank digital currency world. Uh, the Fed's talked about it. ECB's talked about it. They want to do it up in Canada, the UK as well. And I mean, I think uh, Majid, uh, which is on Rogan, like this, listening to that on the way down, I think the way he described it was extremely cogent. Like they, it's the, the vaccine passports, which is what's being protested in Canada are the Trojan horse. You, you get people showing QR codes at a restaurant just to go eat and it starts there, but then it's, oh, you actually can't eat this burger because it's deemed too fatty. You got to eat this soy burger instead. Um, and that apparatus, that, that QR code app uh, is sort of the, the Trojan horse that leads to that control over, over people's lives and economic freedom. People think this stuff is crazy, right? Like, like, and trust me, I wrote this morning about how central bank digital currencies are going to be a, the, one of the greatest violations of human rights in history. And people are like, what are you talking about? I'm like, well, did you read the piece? Right. <laughs> um, but I want to walk through a couple of things that uh, are direct examples. This isn't you and I uh, pontificating about this. This isn't like us all putting our tinfoil hats on and like, oh, wouldn't it be crazy if they did? Like, this is real life examples. So first, let's start with uh, the central bank digital currencies. We've got the Bank of England, who's explicitly stated, uh, and, and Majid brought up uh, the kind of this article that said, hey, look, they want to basically say, here's what you can spend money on, here's what you can't. We know China's already pursuing this. We now see that Canada quite literally is saying, if you donate money to this cause, right, we're going to come after you. Uh, business owners who were literally just serving coffee to the truckers, right, we've seen that video that's gone viral. And so this is not... Uh, like a, a crazy idea. Like this is happening in real time. The other thing is around this idea of like what you can eat. Cause I think when people see they're like, Oh, they're, they'll never get to that point. <laughs> I saw the video of the New York city mayor saying that he's going to get everyone on like his vegan diet. Yeah. It's like, wait a minute. Like 
who said vegan diets were the best diet, right? Like, I, I don't know. It just sounds crazy to me. Yeah, he's trying to institute like meatless Mondays or something like that. And, <laughs> I mean, that's the thing about all of them. This is something Bitcoiners, myself included, have been covering for some time is this encroachment. It's like a slow drip towards these systems. And we've seen it over the last two years specifically, like two weeks to flatten the curve. Right, let's just get the old people vaccinated. And now actually if you're over 40, let's get everybody. Now we need to vaccinate the kids. And it's just like this constant moving of the goalpost. And, and the thing about it, like I have threads on Twitter, you can go check them out. Like these people, uh, these pow- people in power, uh, I mean, Augustine Carson's, Specifically, is the the head of the Bank of International Settlements, the BIS, came out a couple of years ago and described exactly what they want to do at the CBDCs. They want to be able to control where you spend your money, how quickly you spend your money, what you can spend it on, whether or not you can actually spend it, depending on what you've done or said in the past, and that's part of, I guess, the great psyop that's going on right now. Is that these these people who, who want to usher us into these digital panopticons will say it publicly. There's video, there's receipts. And uh, like you said, people think we're crazy for, for calling this out, but like, you can literally point to it. They, they tell you exactly what they want to do. So I'm just going to read for a second here. I just typed in New York City Mayor Meatless Monday. That was my starting point. Real, real genius over here. And the first thing that comes up is a Politico article that talks about the mayor... Eric Adams, former New York uh, Police Department captain, traded jelly donuts for kale smoothies when diagnosed with type 2 diabetes five years ago. Since then, he reversed vision loss and nerve damage. He shed 35 pounds, and he anointed himself a spokesperson for a plant-based lifestyle. That was written in December of 2021. Okay. What surprised me is the next uh, result. Mayor de Blasio announces citywide meatless Mondays. So not even Mayor Adams. Before he even got there, got de Blasio, and he said that cutting back on meat a a little will improve New Yorkers' health and reduce greenhouse gas emissions. (laughs) (laughs) So, okay. (laughs) So then I went and I looked, and uh, what he did back in 2019 was de Blasio introduced Meatless Mondays across all New York City public schools, and the idea was uh, the 1,800 public schools would no longer serve meat on Mondays to their 1.1 million students, which started in uh, July of 2019. And then uh, there's an article um, in the Indy 100 that says New York's first vegan mayor, and I'm talking about Eric Adams, makes history with meat-free Fridays ah. in schools. So we now have 40% of the school week, kids aren't eating meat in school. And this is not, as a parent, somebody making the decision, it's not, hey, I, as the student, don't want to eat meat. This is the government telling the kids what they're going to eat in a one-size-fits-all dietary uh, mandate, which seems pretty crazy. Well, it's really crazy. And again, it's <laughs> compounding and doubling down on the problem that got us here in the first place, which is like top-down control of the food pyramid. Like the food pyramid that they released in the 70s or 80s, whenever they did that, it was telling people to eat like 12 servings of bread a day <laughs> that have like sugars and like insane amounts of fruit, which in and of itself isn't bad, but like then they demonize meat, like steak, and I think it's I eat steak, eggs, and bacon. It's pretty much my diet. Uh, and <laughs> I, I have diabetes runs in my family. Uh, and I don't have it. I <laughs> have 20-20 vision still, I think. When it comes to diets, is another area. We've been talking about the government trying to top-down control money with CBDCs, but now with diet, too, they just want, they're trying to granularly control 
complex systems, the human mm-hmm. body being one of them, uh, by saying, hey, here's the pyramid of food you need to eat. And that is arguably what's led to the spike in obesity and diabetes that we've seen in this country in the last 40, 50 years. And it's like it's, the government is not have, I don't know, maybe they do have your best interests at heart, but their, their advice uh, has never really led to good outcomes. All right. I, I don't want to leave the Canada topic yet because I have a, a question. And I don't know why nobody talks about this in the mainstream media. Uh, I saw your article on the uh, Cuban uh, <laughs> on the Cuban nipple crisis. Uh, explain this theory that people have, which is that Justin Trudeau is actually the son of Fidel Castro. Yes, you just got to look at the nipples. A uh, French-Canadian should not have brown nipples. He should have pink nipples. And if you go back and you look at the timelines... Okay. So, hold on, hold on. We got to really break this down for you. Yeah. <laughs> so there, there's obviously photos of Justin Trudeau was shirtless uh, yeah. just throughout his life. And he has brown nipples. Yes. Which, if you're a French-Canadian, you should have fairer skin and pink nipples. Yes. And so the question is from the naked eye, why do you have brown nipples, not pink nipples? And this leads to then people looking at a timeline. Then you do some digging and you find out that uh, uh, Margaret Trudeau and Pierre Trudeau, who's uh, claimed to be Justin's actual father, did took a trip to, I believe, the Caribbean and may have stopped in Cuba right around like nine months before uh, Justin was born. And it is very apparent that Margaret Trudeau was, was very fond of Fidel Castro, the then communist dictator of, of Cuba. And there's a lot of video evidence of, of those two looking at each other very fondly. Um, and there's pictures been, of them together. Yes. And uh, there's been books written about Margaret Trudeau. And uh, I, I believe she was bipolar. And it was very well known at the time in the social <laughs> social uh, circles uh, at that political sphere that she was known to sleep around. And I believe my own eyes and just look at the pictures of Justin Trudeau throughout his own life, Fidel Castro throughout the course of his life. And then compare that to, to pictures of Pierre so we're, Trudeau. We're, we're going to pull up a picture here of the nipples just so people yes. realize that we're not, uh, we're, we're, we're not uh, joking around Yeah, <laughs> uh, that this is serious stuff. Um, and, and then also I think that we have a, uh, a couple of images that I think we could pull up of uh, Trudeau's uh, supposedly biological father and Fidel Castro. Now the the reason why this is important, right? As as much as people joke around on the internet, et cetera, uh, is that people start to say, well, hold on a second. Like there's a lot of similarities between the governance under Castro and now what appears to be the governance in Canada. And so forget for uh, a second, who's actually, whose father, uh, like a, a episode of Mari, right? <laughs> but, but instead like there is a lot of comparisons between these governments now. Yeah. I mean, it's whether or not there was some long con where behind the scenes Fidel was uh, colluding with uh, with Justin to to bring communism to to Canada again this is all a theory i think there's a non-zero probability that he is the child of fidel castro um, and you know, it, like regardless if it was planned or not like it is undeniable that uh, justin trudeau has turned into a tyrannical I mean, you can, maybe you can say dictator with what they're doing with the, the so, emergency. So we have acts. the images. You can't see these. Uh, they're on the screen right now of uh, Pierre Trudeau, Justin Trudeau, and Fidel Castro. This comes from uh, Marty's Bent, which you should go subscribe to. Um, but uh, uh, 
lot of lot, lot of eyeball in here. You don't got to be a genius to, uh, to ask some questions. Um, and I think that we pulled up also. I actually don't know. Will we get kicked off of uh, YouTube for showing male <laughs> nipples? Maybe. Um, you know, who, who knows what happens on uh, on the internet these days? Yeah, YouTube's a uh, pretty pretty late with the trigger figure these days yeah we have you guys ever uh oh here, here's a little nipple gate for you uh, <laughs> th- those are brown nipples according to my eyes <laughs> by the way the reason why it's funny is because uh, it's like a great joke where like every comedian uh you have to have you have to have a hint of truth and like it makes it funnier like that's kind of why everyone's like ah yeah <laughs> that's an interesting uh conversation because another topic of uh conspiracy theorists over the last two years like lethal track record of accuracy uh, compared to uh, what I think people would have wished for them to have, right? And so you can go back to pre, uh, what I'll call Western world pandemic, where, you know, Blagy, a couple of other folks were like, dude, hunker down. Like, you know, there's a pandemic underway. And people are okay, crazy person. Bam, there we go. Then vaccine passports, you know, it was a whole other, and like, you just go through these things and you're just like, yeah, like there was a lot of accuracy in a lot of those conversations early on. Lab leak. Uh, I mean, I think it's becoming abundantly clear. I'm, I'm sorry. This I mean, like there are treatments. I won't name the specifics uh, to be uh, to be cautious for your YouTube channel. But there are treatments. Appreciate out there. you protected us from <laughs> the uh, censorship czar. <laughs> <We're>, uh, <laughs> I mean, there are treatments that were discussed early on and villainized early on, and even midway through uh, the pandemic that that are proving to be pretty effective. Uh, I can say from personal experience, I've taken one of them myself and it helped me have a, a rapidly quick turnaround from pretty frankly brutal. Um, I mean, we're, at, we're now at the point, like, and I think part of what, what ends up happening is so whether it's the treatments themselves, uh, I, I remember the day that zero hedge got taken down and I t- literally turned to my wife and I was like, that's definitely true then. <laughs> right? Like, yeah. like, it's just like, we were just at this point of like, oh, okay, you guys are going to take that down. Like, Probably we should ask some questions about that theory uh, to now. I mean, what is this? This is uh, what's the date here? February 17th. Uh, so literally, you know, five days ago uh, in the Wall Street Journal, uh, they published an opinion piece. Another potential COVID-19 lab leak clue was the title. Uh, Investigating the pandemic's origin is still worth the effort. And this is uh, an entire article about why uh, the um uh, literally one of the sentences from the Wall Street Journal piece is yet the world already knows enough to take the lab leak theory seriously. Like that would not been okay to say two years ago on the internet. No. And now the conversation's changed, which leads to this whole conversation around like, you may not know what the truth is. How can you be the arbiter of truth if you don't even know what the truth is in these situations? Well, then it's also it highlights that the Overton, like the, the the media and political sphere, can control the Overton window, where they can just gaslight the people into believing, like, oh, it's okay to talk about this stuff now. Like, uh, it's it's oh, yes, it's wide, widely known that it probably spread from a lab. But like, you can go back there. I mean, there was emails between Fauci and the one of the lead doctors in the UK early on, basically trying to collude to to squash the the lab leak theory and the, the, those are public information that were accessibly via the freedom of information act. And, and again, you have like very hard proof that you can prove cryptographically via like email encryption uh, that they, they were colluding early on to bury this, oh, this for theory. Sure. And that's what blows my mind is that we have all this evidence. And again, it goes into like the gaslighting tech tactics of the power structure, if you will. And like you're not allowed to say like, all right, now that we know, it's pretty obvious that 
Fauci and crew were trying to, to squash this early on. Like, why does he have any power now? Like, why are we li- still listening to him to this day and having the information that we have now that he, um, he was actively trying to, to sweep this under the rug? Like, well, how can we trust this man or, or the people that, that, he's, that he's built around him to actually act in the best faith, which yeah. it's, yeah, it's, yeah, the world is. What, what, what's up with the, uh, the world economic forum? I keep huh. seeing people talking about this. I saw you post a video. Oh, we got the leg cross. Okay. We're <laughs> now getting the good stuff. What, what, what is, uh, what, what's going on? Uh, wh- why, uh, uh, if you had to summarize in like a couple of points, why is that specific organization the one that people continue to point to and say, like, it seems like that's the epicenter for ideas that uh, are antithetical to a citizen's best interests? I mean, because it's just, you just, again, like, watch what they say. They say all this stuff in public. There's plenty of receipts out there that you can go back and look through. I mean, they are, they've pushed, like, they, they memed Build Back Better into the world. They memed the Great Reset into the world. Klaus Schwab, I believe it was in 2017, was bragging. Uh, to to uh, a forum of people that the the world economic young global leaders had infiltrated cabinets throughout the world, and I think the specific example he was talking about uh, during that conversation was Canada Trudeau and Trudeau's cabinet. And so, I mean, again, these people say the world economic specifically says very publicly that they they believe that we will transition to a world by 2030 where we have reset the global economy uh, people don't really own anything anymore you have these central bank digital currencies you have biometric id systems you have uh, social credit systems and then, and then you see them spouting all of this placing people in positions of power throughout governments through the world it's hard not to point at them like hey why are you pushing this and why are people listening to you? Especially now, the last few weeks specifically, I think people are really starting to wake up in Canada where it's pretty evident that the will of the people is not being respected by, by the government there. And you had, you had another situation last week where uh, you had an MP in the Canadian parliament say, Hey, I had one of my constituents uh, really asking me about the influence the world economic forum has over our politics. We had Klaus Schwab bragging that, that their organization had infiltrated Canadian cabinets and he was zooming in, I believe remotely and you could hear him clear as day, but the, the speaker of the house like interrupted him when he got too far down the, the theory of the world economic forum having influence on the Canadian government. He's like, ah, oh, we can't hear you. Like we're going to have to come back to you and <laughs> never came just, back. Yeah. I mean, again, it's, it's pretty obvious that they have an agenda and they're again, putting people in positions of power to try to push that agenda forward. And I, I think, again, there's an unelected organization that really doesn't have uh, the, the best interest of individual citizens of different countries around the world at heart. They care about forcing their view of the world on the rest of us. And it's really creepy, number one. Uh, and then number two, they've been very effective up to this point, but I think... Uh, I think the tides are beginning to turn as people wake up like, whoa, 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 whoa. I don't, I don't want to live in a pod or eat soy burgers or like be forced to have something inject into my body uh, with the threat of not being able to spend money somewhere if, if I don't do that. Crazy. 
Um, let's talk Bitcoin. Obviously, I think you, I, my brother, many, many people who are watching this uh, believe Bitcoin is this uh, piece of technology that is created regardless of what happens outside of it. It's going to continue to execute and do what it's built to do. Uh, it is kind of immune to the pressures and, and complexities of the world. Uh, it's neither a good nor bad technology, right? It can have a positive impact. Bad people will still use technology for bad purposes. Uh, but it's just like this, you know, I joke like it's not really an inanimate object, but it basically is right in, in a digital form. Um, what's your kind of read so far on the progress we've made from like an actual building of the protocol of the network, the mining infrastructure? Uh, it seems like we're headed in the right direction, but is that how you look at it? Yeah. I mean, I think the progress Bitcoin has made over the last 13 years has been incredible. Uh, I mean, it's, it's, in terms of mind share and people knowing what Bitcoin is, I think it's pretty much a, a household brand name at this point. I mean, it, it works like you described. That's the beauty of it. It just works. Uh, it's, it's providing people the utility of access to a distributed uh, digital cash system with a hard cap money supply that is desperately needed, an alternative to um, the, the incumbent system, which is just stealing your wealth via, via inflation and debasement of your, your savings every day. Uh, the, t- the software that enables you to interact with the Bitcoin network is only getting better. The UX is getting better. Privacy is still severely lacking, but that is getting better as well. And then like, the mining industry uh, specifically, that's one thing I'm most bullish on is because you have this integration of the Bitcoin mining industry with the just overall energy sector throughout the world. And I think that's going to be extremely powerful. I mean, energy is the base layer of our society. We cannot do what we're doing now without a shit ton of energy and Bitcoin incentivizes Bitcoin mining specifically with a proof of work consensus mechanism incentivizes humanity to be as energy efficient as possible. And it's only going to really uh, supercharge uh, the ability for humans to harness uh, energy and bring cheap, abundant energy to the masses. And I think the, energy sector doesn't know it yet. And this is like one thing I pitch oil and gas people when I talk to them is they, they are replacing central banks, like the, the energy companies uh, due to the fact that they're most incentivized to integrate Bitcoin mining is they have the, the lowest, uh, they have access to the lowest cost electricity production just due to the proximity of the, the, the source of the energy that they're either pulling out of the ground or creating via other means. Uh, they're they're going to replace the Fed window. They're not going to replace like, the Federal Reserve in terms of being able to uh, dictate an interest rate associated with Bitcoin or the amount of uh, Bitcoin that will ever be distributed to market. That'll only ever be 21 million. But these energy companies, by proxy of being the largest miners in the world, which I think will happen by the end of the decade, is they'll they'll have the most hash rate and they'll have control over uh, block production, distributed control over block production, which essentially replaces the Fed window. They they will be the the um, the area through which money is newly created and distributed to the market and facilitated where right now you just had the fed with their window and the primary dealers that have access that to that window, that's going to shift from the centralized central bank to a more distributed energy sector. And their window will be accessible by many more people than just uh, primary dealers at the fed window. We saw recently uh, news of uh, Conoco, uh, 
Conoco. Uh, Conoco, yeah, was um, uh, it seems like offloading a lot of their what would be uh, gas flare uh, and selling that to Bitcoin miners. Uh, there's been plenty of rumors about everyone from Aramco all the way on down uh, also doing this. You're talking about some of this energy um, that, you know, obviously Bitcoin, I think, is the most profitable monetization of energy in the world right now. Is it just a foregone conclusion that the energy sector will become uh, enthralled with Bitcoin and Bitcoin mining and it's just game on and it's just who's kind of early and builds the infrastructure the fastest they win? Or how do you think of it? I think so. I think it's it's already happening. I mean, the what are the secrets? I know you know a lot. So what, I mean, what, there are many more super majors, yeah. either mining Bitcoin or doing Looking. a lot of research yeah. into figuring out how they can do it. In terms of oil and gas alone, um, the, like the Houston meetup, the Houston Bitcoin meetup. If you're in the Houston area and you're in the energy sector and you want to get to um, a meetup where you can really understand what's going on between the convergence of Bitcoin mining and energy. That's an incredible meetup. And uh, that's actually this Thursday in Houston, if you're in town. And uh, just having been to like four or five of those now, it's just packed with Bitcoin miners and people um, that work at these oil and gas companies or other other energy providers and uh, a lot of capital allocators in that energy space too. And they're all spitballing on how to, to make this work and to integrate Bitcoin mining into their their operational stack and yeah, I, I do think it's a foregone conclusion like I said it just makes sense they they have access to the, the cheapest electricity by, by having access to the cheapest energy as well yeah one of the things uh, that happened I don't know it's probably a couple uh, weeks ago now uh, was when uh, Texas was going through somewhat of like a winter storm uh, a lot of the miners were turning off and basically redirecting that energy back into the grid and I don't think that people quite understood until they saw it in practice how good Bitcoin mining can be for the grid, for the balancing uh, of load, and then also uh, in some ways serving as like a battery, right? And, and allowing for all this excess power to go somewhere, get monetized, and then also be able to retrieve it uh, in times of need. Is that like the right way to think about it? Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of nuance to this topic, and it's actually highly right. debated in the mining industry specifically. Like, so it is true. Like, if you, the way energy works and uh, electricity delivery on grid system works is the, the grid typically they'll build out enough capacity for what they estimate estimate to be peak demand for that electricity at any given point in the year and so peak demand is usually in the middle of the summer in the middle of the winter when it's hottest and people want to turn their air conditioners on and when it's coldest and they want to turn their heat on um, and so grids will build out trying to guess uh, that the necessary capacity to to uh, supply that demand to the market and um, so the rest of the year you have all that electricity being produced but not really being utilized because people don't need their air conditioners or heater as much so you just have a bunch of excess energy and so if you don't estimate peak demand correctly like we saw last year um, which was one part of the problem was uh, just not enough electricity then you had a, uh, a, a bunch of things failing as well that led to a, a, a disaster with the Texas grid going down in some parts. Um, 
And so with Bitcoin mining, what it incentivizes is like, all right, you can you can uh, build your grid capacity much larger than you would ever imagine peak demand to be. Mm-hmm. So you know for sure you could have a, a 10 sigma weather event where uh, it's it's extremely cold for an abnormally long period of time, but you will have enough electricity because we've over- overbuilt the capacity for the grid to to basically overcompensate by by a large degree and we're confident that we can do that because we know that Bitcoin miners will there to purchase that electricity when you have off-peak hours. So you're always going to have a customer and you're always going to be able to uh, have a, a profitable business. Um, with that being said, when it comes out to building out these grid systems, you want the base load of energy to be reliable. And so that's uh, there's a lot of... Uh, strategic mistakes that could be made by just running with this meme and um, and going after like building out more capacity. If you build out more capacity, I'm a believer that you need to do it with reliable baseload energy. So like natural gas, uh, nuclear, um, maybe coal even on the back end as like a last resort. Um, but in a lot of areas, what you're seeing is people just build out a bunch of wind and solar capacity, which are unreliable sources and so you can build out gigawatts of hundreds of gigawatts of wind and solar capacity but that doesn't really fix the 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 problem at peak demand times like as another thing we saw in texas their grid went down because a lot of the wind and solar that was feeding the grid stopped producing electricity because it was cloudy out so the sun wasn't getting uh to to the surface to, to for the solar panels to convert it into electricity and then the wind stopped blowing or the turbines froze up because it was so cold out. And so you, you had all this capacity of potential energy that could have gone to the grid if the sun was out and the wind was blowing, the turbines weren't freezing, but uh, it just wasn't there because the weather acted a certain way. And so that could have been avoided if you had natural gas peaker plants or nuclear power plants um, that, that had sufficient uh, heated lines and sensors that didn't go offline. Um, that that are more reliable. So long story short, I do think Bitcoin is very good for the grids. It creates an economic incentive to create an abundance of electricity on grid uh, that, that far surpasses what peak demand would ever be. Um, but it has to be done wisely and with intention, with reliable energy sources. Nuclear, is that going to be a thing? It has to be. I mean, yeah. It has to be. It's. I, I did an episode in, I want to say maybe 2018, with a uh, a guy um, who had been a nuclear sub engineer, and he walked me through. You know, here's what nuclear is. Here's why it's important. Here's why uh, the public's perception is incorrect, etc. And I walked away from there, and I was like, either that guy's like an amazing salesman, or like, what are we doing? Like, why would we not have nuclear? And so it seems like if that's the best power production methodology, then of course, Bitcoin miners will uh, find it right to some degree. Yeah, there's, I, I think it will incentivize the proliferation of small modular reactors. It's going to take time here in the United States specifically. We've, we've got a terrible nuclear regulatory body that I, I don't believe it's okayed the construction of a new reactor in many decades. Uh, I, I mean, nuclear is the densest and cleanest form of energy uh, that, that humanity has ever harnessed. Yes, there have been uh, disasters throughout time. I see Chernobyl, Fuku- Fukushima, but they're, they're, the technology has become 
far superior over time. There's again, there's nuance to it. Maybe maybe you don't build a nuclear reactor on the ocean, uh, right on the coast or near a fault line, but there there are certainly many areas where nuclear reactors make a lot of sense and will provide humanity with cheap, abundant, dense energy and reliable energy. Um, I mean, we just look at Germany, what they've done over the last two decades. They're one of the most incredible case studies in the folly of, of trying to transition to unreliable, quote-unquote, green uh, energy generation um, sources of wind and solar. I mean, they are considered one of the, the economic powerhouses of the world, and they have one of the highest... Uh, residential electricity rates hovering around like 40 cents a kilowatt hour. And that's because they've shut down all their nuclear power plants and replaced them with unreliable wind and solar over time. And this isn't to say like wind and solar don't have their place. They certainly do. But to think that we can just transition society to uh, a an electricity, electricity grids run on these unreliable sources is not wise. It's caused great economic trife in the places that have tried it and it's actually like a regressive tax on poor people it's funny because all the environmentalists and hysterics who are like we need to go green we need to go green they they, bullshit. they like to pontificate that it's helping poor uh poor people and minorities but what you find is it actually hurts them the most like in new york city last year they shut down indian point uh, the power plant, which was up on the Hudson and was serving very reliable electricity to New York City, Manhattan for decades. And they shut it down for environmental reasons, which are bogus. Uh, the environmentalist group that got that nuclear power point plant shut down uh, did so on the basis of it was killing. Like, there were fish eggs getting sucked up into like the reactor and it was killing like the fish, which wasn't true. If you look at the fish populations in the Hudson, they were not affected at all. Um, but have, you, have, have you ever looked at the uh, uh, one of the bills? What was the two the two uh, trillion dollar bill? I think we, we broke down one day. We went through the bills and like one of it was like they gave half a billion dollars or like $250 million or something to uh, um, or no, I'm sorry, it was billions of dollars, I think. Well, whatever the number was, to study like uh, exotic plant species mm-hmm. uh, impacted by the building of highways. Yeah. Right? And then there was another part that like uh, studying people's impact of driving high. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like you're just like, like, what is going on right now? And it's the same thing, right? It's like the fish eggs. You're like, okay, like let's say that the fish eggs are getting sucked up and getting hurt, which I don't know anything about this, but let's just say that's true. But if the net population of the fish triples, then obviously the population growth is, is not being affected, you know, in terms of the fish eggs. And so it's always like, do people lose the plot? No, and then the, the, not only to lose the plot, but it's like anti-human. It's like, yeah, like, if, all right, the fish are fine. Like we can prove that by population. And then like what you're doing, you're shutting down this reliable energy source for one of the largest cities in the world. And what we've seen right away, like New York at the beginning of the summer had like rolling brownout warnings. Like they were asking people to turn down their, 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 uh, air conditioners. While Times Square was lit up. Yes. Well, that and the Times Square should be lit up. Like you can, like it, it, I'm so scared to tell you this. So scared. So, so scared. Let me see if I can find it real quick. Yeah, here it is. So uh, somebody that works with us uh, lives in New York. Uh, I don't. I don't believe you know this person. Um, and uh, they sent me their power bill. And uh, back, let's call it six, seven months ago, they were paying six point six eight cents a kilowatt hour. 
and now they are paying 19 cents a kilowatt hour. And the bill went from $54 to $243. So they used more power because of the winter time, right? But also <laughs> it exploded in terms of uh, almost 300% increase yeah. uh, to the cost of power. Now, probably a bunch of different stuff in there, but still, like, how does... How does a single mother with two young children who works two jobs pay a $240 uh, electricity bill? Exactly. I mean, you're putting these people in a position where they have to decide, do I keep the lights on or I buy food to to feed my children? Like, it's, it's, <laughs> like, it's that's crazy. the thing. Like, people like to use fields and like, oh my God, we're saving the environment, but you're, you're hurting people at the end. And people are part of the environment. We are part of nature. That's something that's been completely lost in our modern day culture is that we, we think that humans are detached from nature where we're not. We're actually a beautiful part of nature. The, the fact that we have the ability to harness all this energy and use it to leverage our pr- productivity by multiples of 100, 1,000 X to, to bring about uh, modern society is, is a feat of human ingenuity and genius that should be celebrated. And yet we have a bunch of people, the WEF included, uh, trying to make the masses believe that, that we're bad, evil people that are destroying the planet. And by any objective measure, I think we're, we're, we're net positive for, for nature in the sense that, that we're actually able to do incredible things. And that's not to say that we should just be mass polluters and not, um, not take care of the environment. I'm a, I'm a surfer. I, I'm, I'm that, that weirdo who yells at people for like littering on the beach. Like I, I hate when somebody goes to the beach and they like leave shit on the sand. It pisses me off. And I'll be that guy walking back to the beach path and I'll be picking trash up. And people think just because I, I don't think we should transition to wind and solar that I'm like anti-environment. Like it's, it's not the case. These things aren't mutually exclusive. Like yeah. you can, you can celebrate humanity and our ability to do all these things. You can be energy efficient, which Bitcoin miner is going to help, um, help in a massive way. And, and you can do, you can actually uplift humanity, um, from poverty. Like think about going to like Africa and India, like there was a stat out there, um, India over the first two decades of the 21st century brought electricity to 900 million people. Like, which is crazy, almost a billion people. And that, and that has an insane amount of uh, benefit or positive uh, effect on those people's lives. Like they can then go do things. They don't have to um, like walk miles to go get water to mm-hmm. bring back. Like they have the facilities to actually do that now and uplift themselves from poverty because they can focus on other things. John went, uh, what did you do? You went uh, lizard hunting? Yeah, right. iguana, iguana hunting. hunting cause they have, uh, which is good for the environment. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but that, that was the whole thing. It's like, well, like in that situation, like literally there's so many of them that they're like, they don't pay you to do it. Right. But, no, no, but no. you get a, they'll take you to go and yeah. uh, do some iguana hunting. What, uh, what questions you got? Yeah. So I agree that like big companies, one need to transition the way that they use their energy and using that to mine. Bitcoin is very, very good for them. What do you think about the average retailer buying an ASIC, going to um, a company that will store it all for you, set it all up for you. Like, is there really much incentive for them to do that and kind of go down that route if the energy is so expensive for them? Well, yeah, I mean, so again, it depends on your particular situation. Why are you doing it in the first place? Do you want to help the network out? Um, And are you just doing it for altruistic reasons? You want to be, you want to own an ASIC to have a part ownership in the overall hash rate of the network so you can further distribute it and you're okay at mining Bitcoin at a loss to do so. Um, if you're willing to do that, go ahead. Um, 
Bitcoin mining has been very profitable last year, obviously because of the China mining ban, which caused this migration, but that should correct itself moving forward. So yeah, you do, if you're a retailer, you have to like take into consideration, why are you doing this? Do you want KYC free Bitcoin? Is that why you're doing it? And maybe you're willing to mine at a loss to, to do that. But it's not to say that all retailers would mine at a loss either. There's, if you have cheap electricity anywhere between probably like three and seven cents, you can probably mine profitably um, for, for a good amount of time moving forward. Um, with that being said, like if you are hosting at a hosting facility, that's third party risk that's entered into the equation. And um, you have to take that into consideration. Is that hosting provider going to get rug pulled, which has happened many times over the last year specifically. Um, so you have that third party risk. If you're willing to take the ASIC at your house and um, set up your electrical infrastructure um, to do it yourself. Um, that, that's certainly worthwhile as well if you want to get no KYC Bitcoin. Uh, yeah, it just depends on your particular situation. Uh, if my advice would be if like your goal is to stack as much Bitcoin as possible and you have a, an amount of sats in your mind that you want to have, I would try to purchase those sats first, um, get that, and then use the mining as a nice added benefit on the back end um, to learn. It's a great learning experience in and of itself. Um, I mean, like me personally, I have personal miners but uh, that I run, but this is a product of me being in the mining industry. For a few years, I was able to find, with a couple of buddies, a natural gas well that was abandoned and provides very cheap gas and got a good deal on a generator. And so like our all-in cost is relatively low and I'm comfortable that will mine profitably, but it takes a lot of know-how to do that. But luckily for retail miners, there's more information than ever um, to access, uh, to, to learn how to do it. If you do want to do it yourself, Econo Alchemist, um, uh, Diverter, KYC, no KYC. Um, those are two individuals who are putting out really good content there. My last question for you before we, uh, uh, we let you go. Is it time to finally bring back the phrase, the virus is spreading? <laughs> <laughs> like, can we bring that back now? Yeah, without yeah you got You got You have to, I mean, it was reappropriated from you. So yeah, it, it, I, they stole you, it. You had to <laughs> reappropriate. It was appropriated from you. Uh, the, John, I don't even think John was on Twitter at this, but pretty much from what, 2016, 2017 until, uh, March 12th of 2020, <laughs> uh, every time anything good with Bitcoin would happen, I'd just type out the virus is spreading and then it kind of took on a different meaning. And, and then you stopped. I, I chilled out a little bit and I, <laughs> I, I, I consulted with a couple of people. I was like, is this just like a power through it moment or is this like a chill out? And they were all like, chill now, out. Now it's time to take it out. Cause honestly the virus is spreading. Like after uh, what's going on in Canada the last week, I've seen an insane amount of tweets of people being like, oh, I actually get Bitcoin now. Like, like people were like, ah, yeah, DHH, uh, the founder of Basecamp, come out yesterday. He had some strong leader in the Libertarian Party come out and be like, ah, I always dismissed Bitcoin, but now I get it. I set up a Bitcoin wallet. You have a bunch of Canadians coming out and being like, my boomer dad, who never saw the value of Bitcoin, thought it was a Ponzi scheme, is dumping 80% of his net worth into it because he finally realizes why it's the important. The orange pill is powerful. Powerful man. <laughs> well, and that's the beauty of it too. Like we don't even need to market it. These governments are doing it for us. They're like, 
I, I did have a tweet that I didn't tweet and I, I, uh, I, I typed it out. I deleted it. I typed it out again. I deleted <laughs> it again, which was uh, dictators are this, uh, or I know what I said. I said, Justin Trudeau is the CMO of Bitcoin right now, <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> which like is true. He is. Right. Um, I, I feel like, uh, cause you're here, we're going to do this. So I just all caps the virus is spreading. <laughs> and we'll, uh, we'll see what, uh, we'll see what happens on Twitter. <laughs> if we get canceled, it's Marty's fault. <laughs> it's, I mean, it seems like the other virus is, is it's over. gotten to a point where it's like, yeah. I, I don't know if we could say that, uh, that it's over. Uh, well, th- of course, by the way, when I said the Justin Trudeau comment, uh, Lewis immediately on Slack, that's a good tweet. <laughs> <laughs> it is low. Uh, for those that don't know, uh, Lewis is a, uh, uh, somebody who works with us and, uh, is a mutual friend of Marty and I, I think you actually were the one who first taught him about Bitcoin, right? Yeah. Well, I, what is I was the first one to sit him down. I was like, this is why Bitcoin's important. I mean, uh, he was into it at that point. Um, but we met, I'll never forget. We met at the Smith and Flatiron. Um, and we sat there at the table and we talked like, he was like, all right, what the hell's going on? And we talked for like a couple hours and then he was like, all right, you need to start a podcast. And that's how, TFTC started as Lou was like, all right, you're starting a podcast. I was like, all right, can you teach me how to do that? The first time I ever met Marty was literally, we met at like seven 30 in the morning or something mm-hmm. at the barstool office. And, uh, uh, we went in there and I was like, man, this is way too like professional of a setup. Cause Marty was like going over, like pressing a button and like running back over. <laughs> we that was, yeah. Shout out to Barstool for letting me sneak in your studios and record in the early days. The <laughs> podcast was never officially associated with Barstool, but while I worked there, I leveraged, uh, the, I mean, you have to have good quality audio capture. So it was yeah. a good place to do it. They yeah. seem to know what they were doing. We've come like, a, come a long way since that, that, uh, first episode of pumps. It's crazy to think. Yeah. I mean, if you think that was probably 2017, probably. Yeah. 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 How, long, how long have you been doing it? Like a, it started September, 2017. I think we had okay. you, you came through. Yeah. It was either winter, early winter, 2017 or early 2018. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty crazy. Yeah, to to think about uh, everything that's transpired since then. I, I actually uh, was talking to Plano the other day, and her and I met before any of the, like the Bitcoin stuff. Right, is how she always thinks about it. And you just think about like the first time that I like started to do anything. I think she was like, "This is crazy stuff." Whatever. Uh, I remember the first time that uh, I met her father, uh, and she was like, "Oh yeah, he like you know does like this technology stuff and like." he's been like researching this Bitcoin thing. He's like, Oh, this is criminal. Right. You know, whatever. <laughs> and I, I was talking to him and, I, and uh, he told me, he was like, yeah, he lived through two hyperinflationary events in Bulgaria. I'm like, dude, okay. you're like, you're like the poster boy. Like you, <laughs> and I explained it to him and he was like, this, this is an interesting, you know, like, like where can I read more? He's an engineer. So immediately he's like, you know, where's the white paper type thing. And uh, now he, you know, he, he believes right. And, and, uh, and kind of sees it, but like, it's crazy to think about personal experience is important. How it's presented to you is important, all that stuff. And here we are. Yeah. Yeah. Did he, did he ask for a Bitcoin dowry to take his, his, his no, no, don't be giving any ideas <laughs> out here. <laughs> I, uh, my brother and I did go to, uh, to India, uh, in 2016, probably in 20, I think 2016. And, uh, you know, I, I don't think we quite understood how the dowries actually work. And, uh, a buddy of his from work, uh, was from India and, and was there. So we met up with him. He's explaining the whole thing. And we were like, 
dude, this is wild. And then you like start realizing like, well, like how big are the dowries? And it's, you know, like some are like $10,000, some are like $10 million. Yeah. And you're like, okay. I'm very happy that's not an Irish Catholic. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. The, uh, uh, the, the thing that I just keep telling myself is uh, the Bitcoin that I hold, you hold, or anybody else is just, you know, it's like our grandkids' Bitcoin, whatever. Yeah. Just don't screw it up for them. Yeah, we, we hold it for our progeny. Exactly. All right, where can we send people to uh, subscribe, follow, like, share? Uh, subscribe, tftc.io. Very simple. Um, our YouTube's currently down, so you probably, <laughs> we're probably going to walk Did you away. get suspended? Yeah, we got a strike. Um, <laughs> we're in timeout right now. Uh, Susan, <laughs> what's up? Susan. <laughs> Uh, no, Don't worry, we're not. She's not fans of us either. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you think for yourself, you're on the bad boy list. <laughs> uh, I mean, she was just asking the governments to. Is allow, that what you guys got the strike for? Uh, I had a doctor on who was prescribing treatments, and we talked about that, and uh, oh, I didn't like it. We, we also uh, had a doctor on. Uh, we had McCullough on, and uh, I. Although we made it abundantly clear, I'm not here to talk about the efficacy, and neither are you. Uh, I just want to know, like, follow the money. Like, who's making money in this situation? <laughs> of course, you know. There's a lot of money being made. We, we, we should all be aware of that. Yeah. <laughs> Literally tens of billions of dollars. That's a good way to put it. Uh, but, pe- but, of course, we got, you know, messages from people, and they're like, I can't believe you're spreading, you know. Blah, blah. And you're like, did you, did you watch it? Yeah. Oh, okay. All right, just no, they sure. saw his name, and we're just like, misinformation. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah, and, and by the way, the the best part is that uh, uh, the video's got like you know six hundred thousand views, like some crazy. It's like I, I think people want this information, right? Like no, nobody held a gun to their head for them to watch it. Yeah. But whatever, it's fine. All right, so tftc.io, they can go there and they can get everything. And at Marty Ben on Twitter, if you want to follow me there, we we, we pulled it up there. Uh, the, my favorite part about any piece of content that you create is founder of tftc.io, a media company focusing on Bitcoin beauty and freedom in the digital age. <laughs> when I read that this morning, I was dying. I was like, beauty and freedom in the digital age is the perfect combination. Yeah, we need to bring back a beautiful world. Uh, yeah. Humans are beautiful. We're good people. I mean, we're just going to end it there. Anybody who uh, is watching this, make sure that you go subscribe to the email. Make sure you follow them on Twitter. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. I really hope you guys enjoyed this one. Make sure you're subscribed on Apple, Spotify, or your favorite podcast player. And if you're looking to try to transition to get a new job in the Bitcoin or crypto industry, we've got you covered. Head over to pompscryptocourse.com. We've developed a curriculum with the top teams across the industry. It's a three-week intensive training program with over 50 events packed into that three-week time period. Go to pompscryptocourse.com to learn more, and I'll meet you guys for the next episode.